Did you know you were FaceTiming me? Yes. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 11 of the Chalk Dust Podcast, where teachers talk about their experiences in the classroom. Because once the dust settles, every teacher has a story to tell. This is Kirby Alexander, your host, and today I'm talking with Brian Chatterton, a high school science teacher and coach living in Casper, Wyoming. I've known Brian since junior high as a friend, teammate, colleague, and I was even one of his assistant coaches for the soccer team. Brian brings a wealth of information about teaching and coaching, and I can't wait to hear what he has to say. Let's go ahead and jump into my conversation with Brian. All right. Well, hey, Brian, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, It's going to be, I think, a lot of fun catching up with you and hearing about your experiences as a teacher. So, you know, I'm just really uh, excited to jump in and and get this started. Yeah, looking forward to it. Thanks, Kirby. Um, I'm uh, excited as well. All right. Very good. So, you know, to start off, just tell us about what you're doing. You know, where are you teaching? How long have you been teaching? What grade? What subjects? That kind of thing. Sure. So I'm in my 27th year of teaching. And I teach in the Tony County School District in Casper, Wyoming. I was a middle school teacher at the time, junior high teacher at a Centennial Junior High, where I taught um, seventh graders, eighth graders, and ninth graders. I'm a science teacher. I did that for about 12 years. I moved to a um, middle school um, in my same town called Casper Classical Academy and taught was the science teacher, the only science teacher there for a few years where I taught 6th, 7th, 8th, and ninth grade science. And that school eventually got bigger. It became a 8th and ninth grade science teacher. We ended up having two or three science teachers by the time I left. Currently, I'm a science teacher, biology and biotechnology teacher at Kelly Walsh High School. Most of my students are sophomores. Okay, very good. So, um, you know, We've known each other for a really long time, and you know I don't think I've ever heard you talk about the story of how you landed in the teaching profession. You know, so just tell me a little bit about what led you into teaching and coaching. Was it something that you like chose from the beginning, or you know, is it something you kind of decided to to do maybe later in college, or you know, what's your story of getting into teaching? Yeah, really good question. So, and when I um, decided to go to school. Um, I had chosen a school where I could major. I wanted to become a physical therapist. Hmm. And um, <clears throat> I also wanted to play soccer in college. And so one of the schools that met my criteria was a school in Duluth, Minnesota, the College of St. Scholastica. Oh, yeah. And so what happens when you go to, you don't really, you go to school and you um, get a major in one of the sciences or whatever, and then you apply it to their PT school is the way that it used to work. Mm-hmm. So about the middle of my freshman year, I was pretty sure that I wasn't going to be a physical therapist. Hmm. And um, you know my family a little bit. My mom was a teacher for quite a while. She yeah. was a special teacher in elementary and junior high. And my dad, on and off through his multiple careers, was also a teacher, a junior high and high school teacher, and a coach. And I felt probably around the beginning of my freshman year that I wasn't really sure I wanted to go into physical therapy. And I'm a a Christian, and so I did a lot of praying about that and just felt this real sense of peace when I decided to change my major and talk Hmm. about going into teaching. And so that happened about the middle of my freshman year. And then I 
uh, went ahead and signed up for my education 121 class in the spring of my freshman year. And, um, yeah, I kind of went after it from there. I was pretty sure I wanted to be a biology teacher um, and teach science. I had, a, I had a really good biology teacher, a couple of really good biology teachers when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. Really good relationships from the coaches that I had been had played sports under and thought that I would be that would be something that I would be good at and um, watched my dad coach and he was one of my coaches and thought that seems like something I would be good at and enjoy and so that's what I decided to do. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, and, and hearing you tell that story, there's just so many connections because we were in the same um, sophomore level biology class with Mr. Brennan. <laughs> yeah. So I remember yeah. that very well. And um, and I think, you know, you did a lot better in that class. So it's better that you went on to be a science teacher and I didn't. Uh, <laughs> but also, I think, you know, I think you've told me the story uh, of how uh, you met your wife in the intro to education course that you took there at St. Scholastica. And... Yeah. Uh, you know, for the people who know me through TCU, that's kind of the course that I'm known for is my uh, teaching of the, the intro to education. So, right. yeah, lots of connections there. Well, that's a that's a, a great a great intro to get into what we're going to talk about. You know, and actually, I don't think I'd ever heard you uh, talk about that before. So, um, you know, I imagine that teaching now is a lot different than when you first started. You know, so. What do you kind of see as the biggest changes or shifts in education since you started 27 years ago? Yeah, good question. So I've, I've been thinking about this kind of on and off um, for the, you know, the last couple of years. And so what I would say is that um, just the move to kind of the really set standards that are put forth in mm. your course. Um, you know, whatever it is you're teaching. And so in science, we have the next generation science standards, of course. Yeah. When I started teaching, it was kind of like you taught what you thought were the important things that kids would need to know in your subject area. Interesting. You were given, you were given a, my recollection was I was given a textbook and as a resource and but no curriculum it wasn't like you should teach this your curriculum mm. kind of generated by conferring with the other teachers in your department like hey do i need to go over this do the kids need to vote this and you know again this is my experience and so as mm. as wyoming progressed through kind of its phases of kind of standardizing those things we did a you know we had science standards that were fairly general, that were adopted probably in the early 2000s. And so I came, became a you know, pretty, pretty fluent, I should say, in teaching those standards. Mm-hmm. But even those, they were, they were more inquiry types of standards in the science area. And so you still had some leeway to kind of teach certain ideas and still hit the inquiry pieces. And I really enjoyed the part of my job where I got to be creative and teaching certain things, certain ways that I had a um, affinity to, I guess. Hmm. And so in, in the more recent years with the uh, adoption of um, the, the science standards, but also our district has been more basically telling us, these are the things that you're going to teach hmm. and this is the order that you're going to teach them in. 
and you're going to work with your colleagues to develop common assessments and things like that. Yeah. And I don't I think all of that have there's some wisdom in all of that. But what I've felt is that the my creativity in teaching has gone way down hmm. um, as a result of I don't mind. I actually enjoy collaborating and getting help with my um teaching practices and things like that from my other teachers or my, my colleagues and getting ideas. Mm-hmm. But because we, we feel like we need to be so common in everything we do, I feel like there's a, some of the originality of what I would come up with is lacking in some mm-hmm. of my classes. Yeah. The exception, sorry, in my biology class, the exception to that would be my biotechnology class oh, cool. of which I'm a teacher and so because I'm a department of one in biotechnology, I either teach hmm. uh, two sections a year or one section a year, I get to determine what it is that um, I want to do with those students. And so I get a good picture of what a flow of a biotechnology class looks like and what the skills I want them to do. But then I get to do some things that where I get to be more creative. And so hmm. that's become my favorite class to teach because hmm. I get to – I get to use my knowledge and gifts to um, in a more creative way that's more enjoyable to me. Not that I don't enjoy teaching my other classes because I do. I love, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I enjoy my kids, but I don't. I feel like um, everything's kind of laid out for me, and so mm-hmm. I it kind of feels like I'm doing the same thing all the time. That's a trend, I think, in just about every state too, in every district where they're just it's the curriculum's becoming almost so standardized that there's very little room for the teacher's creativity and their own ideas. Uh, and I even saw a little bit of that, you know, my last couple of years teaching public school where we were just expected to teach particular things and there wasn't as much time to do some things that maybe I thought were good for kids, but, right. but not necessarily in the curriculum or even in the textbook, but I think, but it aligned with what we were doing and it just was a really great experience. So yeah, and I wouldn't say that I'm sneaky about it, but when I see opportunities for time to be got to get back some time, there's some things that I like to do with my students that um, my other colleagues don't do. But they, I, I've, I, they do the same thing, right? Right. You kind of you grab onto the moments that you have with um, based on the partly the rapport that you have with your students as well, and some of those rapport building pieces are actually the best part of your experience sometimes and sometimes for the kids and so the curriculum is important we you know there's certain things that we want them to know and be Mm -hmm. able to do but um the relationship building that makes um teaching valuable to the student and the teacher kind of comes through those other moments that you still try to weave in that maybe you don't have as much time to do as you used to Hmm. oh yeah that's really good so, you know, I imagine in your 20 plus years of teaching, you've probably taught, uh, I don't know, a couple thousand students to this point. So, I, you know, you've probably seen just about everything. Uh, yeah. You know, some of your students do really well. Others probably, you know, maybe struggle. You know, beyond grades and test scores, you know, how do you measure your success as a teacher? Yeah, it's a really good question. So, <clears throat> I probably should... You know, it's interesting. So I probably thought of, about that more when I was a younger teacher, when you kind of get into it, and then you kind of get into habits and things like that. And then, like I said before, your 
some of your creativity is comes go goes by the wayside partly because you find things that um you know that have always worked for you mm-hmm. and you think they're going to continue to work for you so i would say that when i i feel successful when my students um are engaged not just with the material although with the material they're engaged with me as a teacher i'm not just a guy standing up there talking to them hmm. we have like there's an atmosphere to the classroom where we're all kind of in this together and so um there's not really a formula to do that but i guess the my sense of how to accomplish that best is doing your best to get to know kids and accommodate them on an individual basis and not as a class. So behaviors that I might expect of kids in, uh, in one class, for example, aren't necessarily the same behaviors that I would expect in one of my other classes. Mm-hmm. Maybe their academic skill levels or their socioeconomic background, or maybe it's just, you know, maybe the other way to say that is their home life, right? Mm-hmm. And the language that maybe I allow to be used in a sophomore classroom (laughs) um, is maybe not the same as I would allow in one of my other classes Mm -hmm. where, you know, that language, colorful language, maybe we'll call it is, is not, you know, it's not something that is done at home. So they do it, don't do it in a classroom and I hold them to that standard. But some of these, some of the students that I have, you know, they speak in descriptive, colorful, sometimes offensive <laughs> language that, be, that I have to be able to live with sometimes with a reminder that, hey, we don't talk like that in here without ruining, always ruining the relationship every time mm-hmm. they And so if, if I can have maintain the relationships that I have with my students and help them to be successful then I feel successful. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I I haven't really taught very much high school. I mostly taught elementary school, but, you know, I coached with you and coached, uh, coached cross-country at the high school, uh, and I was interviewing someone else uh, in, the, in the first season, and he said the same thing about high school kids, and you just have to be ready for some of the colorful language that, that comes out, and sometimes they don't even realize it's colorful. It's part of for a lot of them, I shouldn't say, I wouldn't say most of them because that would be an exaggeration, but for a lot of them, the F word is just, um, that's just how they say, that's how, just how they talk. (laughs) It shouldn't be. It just is. And so you have to, you've got to ride with it a little bit, um, on occasion so that they feel safe in your classroom and not, um, judged every time they make a mistake, hmm. if that makes sense. Oh yeah, yep. Because you could write them all day. I could probably. I'll, I have a class now. Um, none of them are would listen to this, obviously. But <laughs> let's say they did. I have a class now that will name, be remain nameless. Where probably I could, in my old days, I could probably send at least five of them to the office, quote unquote, mm-hmm. every for saying something or doing something that, you know, 
15 years ago in another classroom on a planet far away, I never would have allowed for that to happen. Hmm. But knowing these students um, means that I have to um, see them as people, not just my little, you know, make me look good as a teacher. Right. You know, I, my classroom is running oh so smoothly. I must be doing a good job, but they hate me because I don't allow them any wiggle room at all. Right. Yeah. They're not your subjects that, that make your kingdom function. Yeah. Right. And it's a constant battle to be honest with you. Cause some days I'd rather it be my kingdom to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. But, um, the next day that it only goes so far and for so long that you can, you can function like that. So, yeah. Yeah. That's great. So kind of, you know, I'm going to switch gears on you here a little bit and switch from teaching to coaching. So, you know, we were talking about success as a teacher and you've definitely experienced a lot of success as a coach, you know, multiple regional and state championships, multiple all-state players. A lot of them have gone on to play at the next level, you know, so what's the driving force behind your coaching? You know, is it getting wins or do you see it as more than that? So... Winning is super fun, and when you're having a season where you're winning, it's typically a lot more fun, but that is not, that's definitely not my definition of success. So my, um, when I teach kids, in fact, before we got on the phone, I was meeting with, I was having lunch with two of my senior team captains, and I bought them lunch, and we're in school right now, we um, socially distanced in my classroom and we, I ordered some food and had it delivered to the office and we sat down we talked about what we want to do over the winter to get ready for our spring season. We feel like we have a really good team and um, can be successful and we hope to win a state championship this spring actually. Hmm. Uh, we have enough talent that we think we can do that. But for me, it's... Um, really about developing the same idea, developing relationships with my players and knowing that I'm not going to be able to do that with every player on my team. But I, you know, there are lots of players on my team that I still have their own gifts that I can help them develop and become the best that they can be. And so I, you know, do my best to kind of pour into those kids and then um, try to bring out their own leadership skills, I guess. And so I guess my, my success is when I see a team that um, doesn't, the less they have to count on me, the better, hmm. right? And so my, the best teams I've coached, and you were around for some of those teams actually, mm-hmm. were where if I wasn't there and if you weren't there, they would still know exactly what they needed to do because we've trained them well enough and developed their, you know, developed them well enough that they don't really need the coach around even in the toughest circumstances. And so I guess my, my thing is just trying to develop um, young men who want to be the best at what they want to do and to try to um, help them accomplish that. Yeah, that's awesome. So yeah. one of the – I'll just – I don't mean to interrupt, but no. I, two years ago, we, we didn't have a season last year, mm-hmm. uh, spring of – well, this year, I guess it would have been March 2020. We had had five practices, and um, we went home on a Friday, and we never came back. Hmm. 
and we had a really good team and that was tough for our kids um it was tough for me and so we're really looking forward to the season and but what we had done the previous year was we had read a book together me and some of my team leaders called legacy and it's about the new zealand all blacks mm. and how they developed the team culture so at our school we're called the we're the kelly walsh trojans and so we developed something that we call the trojan code and the trojan code is basically the the standards for our team the the culture of our team what it is that we expect and what we hope to get out of our players. And so if you were to take the things that we developed as our Trojan code, they definitely apply to sports, but they apply to every area of a student's, of an athlete's life. And so what I hope also to see is that not only are they successful in their sport, but they use the things that we taught them during the time that we have together in our soccer season and even the off season, that they'll continue to use those through college and you know when they get married when they have kids right these mm-hmm. these these skills and this knowledge that will help them in every area of their life so i would say that that's a big part of what i do as well wow that's great and tell me the name of that book again um it is called legacy okay and i don't know the i can't remember the author off the top of my head but it's about the new zealand all blacks Okay. And it's a really good book. And the that's a rugby team, right? Yes. Yeah. Yep, sorry. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, so if you had to give uh, one piece of advice to a young coach who's about to graduate and start their coaching career, what would it be? Mm. <laughs> that's super funny. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to think of maybe what I would have advised myself <laughs> when I was starting – um, yeah, you don't know as much as you think, you know, <laughs> so, um, humility is a huge part of being a good coach, humility with your players, but also humility with your, uh, the parents that come along with them, um, hold, hold everybody to a standard but treat players as individuals, not as a, like we said before, not as a pawn on a chessboard to help you become, you know, you look good as a coach. You're in the business of helping players become their best. And that means different players start at different levels and you can't treat them all the same, but you still need to hold them to, uh, to the same standards, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But how you deal with them should vary. Um, Hmm. you know, there's, there's a team mindset that you have to instill, but you still have to keep in mind that different players have different backgrounds, different skill levels, different, they struggle, they, they struggle with different types of things. Um, they're not usually super mentally tough, even though you hope they are, Mm -hmm. um, your expertise needs to be just as much in your players as it is in your sport. And so if you think you know everything about every kid and how they should act and how they should be and whatever, you're going to be in for a long, well, you're going to have a short coaching career and it's not going to be very fun. (laughs) And I guess you've seen a few of those, uh, you know, in your years. 
Well, yeah, I've seen I've seen lots of new coaches come in thinking they're gonna you know be this that and the other, and it's all about when it becomes all about them. You can tell, mm. and but you can also tell when they don't hold their team to a high standard either when they're just their friend and not their coach, and so um, teams can go you know, teams can go lots of different ways and the coach has to be mindful of what his role is to get the best that he can, he or she can out of the players that they have. So, you know, I imagine in all these years you've been coaching and teaching, you know, you've probably, you know, you probably had some bad days, you know, maybe even, I know for myself, even now there are some days I like, look up and I'm like, what have I gotten myself into? Like right. retirement starts, retirement starts to, you know, starts to sound really good. <laughs> right. But, um, you know, so what's your process for you? Just kind of how you work through those, those bad days, you know, whether it's a bad day, a bad game, a bad season, a bad week, you know, what's kind of, what's your process or how do you, how do you, um, how do you do that? So you can reset and just, you know, get ready for, get ready for the next day or whatever. Yeah. So I'd say it goes back to my, you know, essentially it goes back to my personal habits, not so much as a coach or a teacher, but how I um, approach my day typically. And so, you know, I I wasn't always like this, but, um, you know, my day starts when I get up at 530 and I make a cup of coffee and I, um, you know, read my Bible and I um, maybe read a book. And I get, you know, take some time to, to pray a little bit and basically just get my every day to me is a new day. Hmm. And, you know, I listen, I like to listen to lots of podcasts and learn a lot and, um, you know, fill my mind with things that are positive and um, that excite me and that I feel like. Maybe I'm gaining, have the chance to be a little bit better today than I was yesterday and to gain wisdom through different things that I read and listen to. And so um, if I have a bad day, I pretty usually chalk it up to something that somewhere that I fell short, to be honest with you. Like if I had a day, if I had a bad day, it probably wasn't anybody else's fault but mine. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... I have to be able to reflect reflect on that either in the moment when I've created the moment that maybe wasn't so great, um, and then you know figure out what it is that I need to do better the next time, and then actually take some action on that. Whether you know, I don't know if you've ever done this, but mm. there will be days where I show up to class and I'm not as prepared as I need to be. <laughs> I've never done that, Brian. So, but go ahead. <laughs> Let's just say for <laughs> hypothetically that, um, you know, and if the lesson doesn't go great, it's not my kid's fault. It was because I didn't take, you know, maybe five or ten extra minutes and think about the way I was going to present the material and and engage the students and do those sorts of things on a code, you know, on a teaching on the teaching stage. Um, you know, if things don't go well, that usually boils down to me if I'm ready to go almost always my classes go well. Hmm. Same thing in my coaching. If I am prepared and ready and have a good mindset, um, all, 
it almost always goes well. And the result is not, you know, I'm not measuring my success in the result of whether we won the game or whether every one of my students got their homework done or whether every one of them, you know, got 100% on the quiz. Although we shoot for those things, right, and we mm-hmm. help to accomplish those things. But, um, you know, if if I can think about what I've done and if they've fallen short um, and they're accomplishing their goal, I need to think about whether what my role was in that. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'll kind of, you know, do some thinking about that and then I'll go to sleep and I'll sleep good and I'll get up in the morning. And if that thing is still on my mind, I'll, I'll deal with that in the morning. Um, and then I'll get ready to, you know, to do the next thing. And yeah. so I'm always excited to do everything I have to do every day, but most days I'm ready to go. Hmm. And, um, but I, I would say earlier in my teaching career, um, you know, I didn't have some of those personal habits that I've developed maybe in the past 10 years. Hmm. And so I did have a bad day. I would, I could easily, it's easy to blame things on everybody else around you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that typically just compounds the problem. Yeah. And it doesn't get better because you're now the on the receiving end instead of the, you become the victim in a way instead of the uh when it gets out of your control, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And there's a piece of it that I need to own. I can, because I have time to reflect every day, morning or evening or whenever that happens that day. If I have a chance to reflect on it, I, I can, you know, I can deal with that. But if I'm, if I'm blaming other people, I don't, it doesn't get better. Yeah. And it just, it just gets worse. So I don't know. I don't remember what the original question <laughs> There you go. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I think I think you nailed it. Yeah. And I and I can tell you I start my day the same way you do. Coffee, scripture, prayer, uh usually read something out of a book and by that time I'm I'm ready to go. I you know, and I've gotten to where I'll also throw in a run sometimes if I if I get up early enough and I'm motivated, I'll try to go running too, but that's great. I, yeah, I actually thought it out this morning when I was drinking my coffee. I'm like, I'm up early enough, I could go do get exercise. But I'm not a good morning exerciser, and if I do, if I exercise in the morning, I usually cut it way shorter than I should. Uh, and I'm a I'm an afternoon exerciser. Yeah. And so I do try to exercise a couple times a week too. But um, and that always helps as well. You know, just those personal habits. You forget how important those things are. Those things roll over to your your family life and into your work life. Because if you don't take care of yourself. And don't have uh, have your your stuff together, so to speak. You're not of any good to anybody else around you. Yep, absolutely. Um, yep, that's a that's a big deal to me. So, oh yeah, for sure. And um, so you know, this is my last question, and uh, I just want you to kind of think back, like when you look back on all your years of teaching and coaching up to this point, what comes to the forefront of your mind? Yeah, I guess I get a picture in my mind of. Uh, all the relationships that I have with players and students that I had in my class. And I have, I don't know if it's the luxury or the, I don't know, I guess I'm lucky to live in a place where I've been able to teach my whole life. And so I get to see 
like now I get to teach kids who I taught their parents as well. Hmm. And I get to see how, you know, their parents are doing well in our community and how they're now I get to have a relationship or coach their kids hmm. and continue that relationship. Um, so I guess, you know, the biology thing, you know, I think I could have been a good history teacher and I could have been a good math teacher and I could have been a good, maybe not a great English teacher, but maybe, yeah. you know, cause I like to read, but like, I think I could have been a, a good teacher in lots of ways. So the subject matter, um, I, you know, love science and I think there's a lot of insight that you can gain if you have the right perspective about what it is that you're teaching. Hmm. But I think the main thing I think of is just the relationships that I've built with students over the years and how hopefully I've helped them in some way, um, you know, become their best or meet their goals. And so, um, yeah, that's what I, when I, when I kind of look back, the, I guess the corridor of time, so to speak, when I think of a year, I think of a student or a class or an experience or a group of students or a team or whatever. And so those are the pictures that come to my mind. So those must probably be the most important thing. So no, that's awesome. Well, that's a, that's a great place to end uh, our conversation, Brian. Thank you so much for all of this wisdom. I mean, I'm sitting here like I've, I've been taking notes, writing stuff down. I've learned a lot just sitting here uh, talking with you. So this is great. I really appreciate you taking some time out of your, your schedule to, to visit with me. Yeah, well, I enjoy your podcast, and uh, it's cool to listen to somebody that you've had a relationship again with for years, you know, back into the, I don't know, we've known each other since 1980-something. Yeah, I don't know. Early, the so, early 80s. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so we're pretty old now, and um, no, it's nice that it's really cool to be able to still connect with people and do that. So yeah, I really enjoyed getting to catch up with you this summer and then getting to catch up with you today. And uh, what a cool thing you get to do. Yeah. Awesome. Yep. I totally agree. Well, Brian, take care and we'll talk to you later. Okay. Thanks Kirby. You too.